Because if you're only relying on the physical for your proof, like that you have to see it or touch it or taste it or smell it or hear it, then you're actually living a really limited existence because our senses are happening every single day. It's a part of who we are. And yet we're growing increasingly out of touch with our evolutionary biology, our nature dwelling ancestors. This is the Heath in Pursuit podcast with Heath Hollandsby. Each week, we'll have a conversation with various folks who are actively engaged in the pursuit of truth. This is a show where anything can be discussed, and probably will. A podcast for the seekers, the dreamers, the restless, the hurt, and the broken. This is a podcast for you. Welcome to Heath in Pursuit. Hey, thanks, James. It is so good to be back on a microphone I got to tell you, well, there's a few things I got to say before we get going. First of all, I got a weird voice right now. Do Do you hear the strangeness in my voice? That, my friends, is the sound of a sinus infection. Yet still, I persevere. And, uh, I persevere because this is one of the few things in life that actually gives me joy. And some of you are like, ah, what? Podcasting? I sit in this little room alone and do research. And I take my life experiences and I try to make it something worth listening to and maybe something that's encouraging to you or helpful to you. And so, yeah, it's weird and um, strange, yet I find so much joy in this, which makes me think this is what I need to be doing for a living. So support me. I'm just kidding. Well, I mean, I'm not kidding, but you can support me. And I'll tell you how to do that here in a few minutes. But Uh, sinus infection and all, I am going strong today. And gosh, a title like from five to 53, the fragility of fleeting moments. What a killer title. Because if you know me at all, you know, I'm a sucker for like titles and, um, and headlines, but man, from five to 53, what does that mean? I don't know. I was actually, so I did an album a few years ago called, uh, the grand narrative. And initially it was going to be zero plus seven equals infinity. And everyone was like, what? You can't do that. Cause it makes no sense. And I thought like, well, that's the beauty is maybe people like, maybe people will actually listen because they don't know what they're getting into. But, um, yeah. So from five to 53, the fragility of fleeting moments. Wow. Even take out the five to 53, the fragility of fleeting moments. Yeah. I don't even really need to talk about that. And it makes sense. Like people know what that's like. So, um, yep. Sinus infection and all. I just did a shot of Jack Daniels before I started. Cause that's what I was told to do. So, uh, it's either going to clear my sinuses to let me speak, or it's going to make me kind of like start talking in ways that you guys are like, what the heck is he talking about? Maybe a little bit of both, but, uh, let's, let's kind of see how far we can get without me slurring my my language, because that's actually part of what we're talking about today. Um, before we go too deep into this, I want to talk about a current tour that I've got going. Uh, and as, as COVID's kind of like, I don't know, is it coming? Is it going? Is it like, who knows anymore? (laughs) But like, as things are starting to kind of open up masks and all, um, I've begun touring, uh, uh, about a one hour, 75 minute production that I've written called Our Playful Universe. And um, it is essentially how all of our lives are lived in a linear fashion. And it's very different from the way that the universe operates. And so, yeah, 
what do we do with that? What do, what do we do with a sense of the things that we can't explain or the things that we don't understand or when things are not supposed to go just necessarily in one direction? What happens when all your plans are disoriented because of a life event and it makes you reconsider things? Or what if you have a, such a beautiful experience that everything you were working hard for and went to school for falls apart? And how do we rectify that? How do we justify that? And it makes a lot of sense when you look at the universe. And so I'd love to show up in your city and um, and tour that for you. I just did it recently in Bogota, Colombia and in uh, Lansing, Michigan and some other places. And it's a really great tour. I don't want to toot my own horn, but man, yeah, listen to that. That's fun. Okay. And if you want me to come speak to your community or your network or your church or your spiritual community or your school, I would love that. And I'm available at times. And so if you just go to heathenpursuit.com, contact form there, send me a little ditty and uh, yeah, we'll get something set up because that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, it would be a lot of fun. Okay. So the fragility of fleeting moments, which is what we're talking about today. And, um, I kind of feel right now, I don't know if this is me or the whiskey, but like we just, I should talk about my surroundings. So I'm sitting in my, my studio here. I've got my beautiful little golden doodle named Scarlet to the left. I've got a bag of Doritos, nacho cheese. You hear that crumble? That nacho cheese is my least favorite Dorito flavor. Cool Ranch is what I am at my heart and at my core. But uh, yeah, so that's sitting here in case I get hungry while I'm talking. It's dark in this room. I've got no lights on, but I just do better. I've got this killer like recording console that's got reds and greens and oranges and yellows and blues and light blues and purples and fuchsias and all kinds of like levels kind of peaking. It's a beautiful sight. And then I've also got my computer with some notes that I've taken. Yeah, that's the environment I've in. So I just, some of you guys are like, how do you have time to go on this podcast? How do you do what you do? Literally, I was on a walk this morning. And I had an experience yesterday, and I, on my walk, thought, I'm going to talk about this topic, and we'll see what happens. And uh, that's about the effort I put into this one, but hopefully there's something meaningful in it. So yeah, so last night, I was with my buddy Jim. Oh, Jim, what a good dude. He's significantly older than me. We used to work together, and he is just a nature lover. He He kind of swims against the traditional way of doing things. Uh, he's got this awesome dog named Maggie. And last night we're out towards Mount Rainier, out in the middle of nowhere. No cell service, 30-minute drive off the main road to go hunt chanterelle mushrooms. And Jim and I have this rhythm. Every year we have a mushroom foraging event. And there's, it's just so fun. We're in the trees. It, last night it was raining on us. You can hardly take a step without like having to figure out how to clear through the brush to get to these chanterelle mushrooms that are like little golden nuggets right in the ground. And afterwards we go back to the to the car and, and there's a cooler and we're having a beer and just enjoying the sunset. And I got about, I don't know, I think Jim said he got three to four pounds when he texted me this morning. I got about double that, uh, probably seven or eight pounds of just chanterelles. And they still got the pine needles and all that on them. But uh, so when I was sitting there last night, um, 
I was just overwhelmed by the senses of what I was experiencing. So there was like the light, the sunset was happening. The light was coming through the trees. We're out miles and miles and miles away from the nearest human. And the noise of the rain falling and the smell of the rain hitting the mud and the smell of like the trees kind of coming to life. And there's a smell of the pine needles, like it smelled like Christmas. And like we had these chanterelle mushrooms that we're touching as we're, as we're walking through this forest and we're eating this deer clover, which is what deer eat. And it's, it's literally just clover. Like it looks like a weed, but it tastes really great. And, uh, and I just started thinking about the difference between noise and sound. And we're out in the middle of nowhere and there's a helicopter flying by. And it was just so irritating because it was ruining everything natural. And so noise is this sense of like, it's different than sound. Noise is like a disturbance. Noise is unpleasant. It's uh, I actually looked it up in the dictionary and it said that it's a, uh, it's a sound, especially one that's loud or unpleasant or that causes a disturbance. So when you're in beautiful nature and you hear a helicopter, you hear metal and military cruising through the sky, that's a noise. That's not normal. It takes away from the beautiful rain hitting the leaves. Sound, yeah. That's what drowns out the noise. That's why a lot of old cities have fountains. Because as things progressed and they started being like more and more noise, the fountains kind of drown it out with a trickle of water. It's a natural like oasis. If you don't have a fountain in your yard, by the way, or like a, or like even in your city, yeah, fight for one. Talk to city council. It drowns out the noise of police sirens and cars and traffic and backfiring of vehicles. But what I began to notice as I was sitting with my buddy Jim last night, we talked about this a little bit, was that we're often stripped of our senses because we live in an artificial world of senses that keep us from what is actually real. Like when you think about the actual senses that we know of, the five senses, and we'll talk about that, there's so many things we have in our hands and in our ears and in our faces that don't allow us to actually understand that which is natural. So we've got, we've got our TV screens, We've got our phone screens with the glare. We talk about, we joke about that glare in the face. We've got air fresheners. Our more liberal friends have the, uh, have the oils that are scenting their homes. <laughs> we got noise pollution. We got light pollution. Light that is just taking away from the night sky that we're supposed to connect with because it's the city lights taking over. And we live in these sterilized environments. Everything's sanitized, sterilized, clean, not dirty, polished, vacuumed, swept, mopped. And my argument is I think you and I could be much happier and probably a lot less stressed if we could get back to the natural. And so here's what I want to do. I want to take a look at the different senses that we've got and then talk a little bit about a concept of the senses versus perception and see if we can find a way back to a little bit of peace and happiness in our lives. Um... Okay, so understanding your complete sensory system brings you to the awakened state that your senses were developed by you, for you, to aid you in the enlightenment of who you actually are supposed to be, a physical and a spiritual being. And you can't bifurcate those two because all of us have this duality going on. We're both physical beings and we're both spiritual beings. And our sensory system is expandable 
and it grows into each of these areas, right? Because you have this, uh, you have your spiritual side, your spiritual growth, your spiritual expansion, and and that growth and those growth processes are all recognized as part of your spiritual experience. By becoming aware and recognizing all of your senses, you can actually utilize and I would say even maybe expand both your spiritual and physical experiences, which creates your total experience, right? So we have this physical plane of of existence and you have the spiritual and you have the physical and those two combined make up the total experience of who we are. Yeah, Aristotle was the first one to talk about the senses as far as like the five primary senses, which we know are like sight, hearing, smell, taste, touch. Um, So let's talk with those and then we're going to expand. So this is, we're going to expand from here. So hearing, this is the, uh, the part of the ear we see and we can touch is the outer ear. So sound enters from the outside of the ear into the middle of the ear. It contains an eardrum, and as the sound like kind of translates, passes through the eardrum, it begins vibrating. And those vibrations pass to the bones, which are present in the ear, and those ultimately pass to the inner ear, where the nerves pass the message to the brain. So when your eyes are closed and you hear something, you actually are drawing on other senses and often envision what that sound might look like. We also use a sense to determine like the distance of something or the location or the direction or the awareness of a sound's location. And that's where our brain naturally evaluates and kind of reconciles what we're hearing. Is it, is it in front of us? Is it behind us? Is it to the right? Is it to the left? Is it far away? Is it near? And these evaluations of these like proxies of where these things are at, the evaluation of the presence of these sounds and tones allow us to make decisions based upon where we believe them to be, and then we react accordingly. So that's hearing. Then you got smell, or uh, olfaction is what they call it. And by the way, humans uh, have had over a thousand distinct olfactory receptors that have been tuned into different uh, odorous molecules. That's how we are naturally wired. So we have over a thousand different unique Um, receptors kicking in, sensing what we're smelling, combining the two, like, oh, this is pine and sage. And so together that makes this, right? So uh, we all have this olfactory bulb and it's a nerve and it analyzes airborne molecules inhaled by the nose. And what's interesting is the Talmud, which is the central text of rabbinic Judaism, and also I would say the primary source of religious uh, religious law for Jews as well as Jewish theology. It says that smell is that which the soul benefits from and the body does not. So smell can actually be a trigger of memory. Like if we were to close our eyes for just a second and focus on different scents, smells can actually give us an imagery. They can give us a language, a definition to what we're experiencing and create an emotional connection to those things. Like a specific scent can create and be the strongest trigger of all memories. Um, and those those actually are, are, they can be delightful, they can be comforting, they could be alarming, like put us on edge, fight or flight style. They can be unpleasant. But like the other day, I was just walking through my neighborhood and 
I, I got this whiff of a smell, and I don't even know how to describe it, but it instantly took me back to when I was four years old in preschool at the lunch table outside of, of, a, of a private Christian school in Santee, California. 30 years later, 30 foot, 34 years later, I'm sitting here smelling a smell that just instantly took me back there, and I have no way to explain it. So we naturally correlate certain smells with people. We naturally correlate certain smells with different seasons, with different experiences, with different foods, with different locations. And that's a scent that we've been given. So our nose has a navel cavity, which has a special hair type too. Uh, It's a special hair type structure. So when we breathe, there's these particles that are present in the air, and those come in contact with the hair of our noses, which produce signals that are then passed onto the brain and then tell us what kind of smell is in the air. And these hairs called, uh, the, like these hairs that are inside the nostril, they also trap dust and germs which are present in the air, and they protect us from going into our lungs. And so this is the reason that a lot of like, uh, like ENT doctors will, will suggest that we breathe from our, our nose, but not from the mouth, because we need to have like some sort of stopgap, and those, hair, those hairs actually filter out that which we're not supposed to experience. So that's a, so we got our nose, we got the smell. Then we got taste. Now, most perceived taste comes from the olfaction of exhaled air from the oral cavity. So on our tongue, uh, we've got taste buds, and we taste anything through our tongue. And when we do, like we recognize that these taste buds have nerve endings on them. So when the food we eat actually like gets into our mouth and it comes in contact with the taste buds, these taste buds actually send signals to the brain through different nerve endings. And then the brain freaks out and responds to the, to the taste that the food has. And the tongue is sensitive and it can taste different tastes. I think they say there's like four or five, like sweet, sour, salty, bitter are the main ones. But what your tongue can do is that it can also separate and distinguish the flavors of salt and sweet or sour or bitter. So everything you taste combines these flavors. And sometimes taste can even be impacted by a combination of, of the actual taste of something and the perceived taste of it. So like, this is what it tastes like or this is what it should taste like. Yeah, taste is bizarre. But uh, we'll talk about that here in a few. You got your touch, right? So skin of our body allows us to feel it's got nerve endings. Those nerve endings are sensitive to things. They're sensitive to pain. They're sensitive to cold, to touch, to heat. And so nerves beneath the skin, they actually start gathering information and send a message to the brain that is how we feel how the object is. Yeah. So skin is also our body. It's the covering which holds all internal organs. And through touch, we learn a great, great deal about our bodies. We learn how to talk to one another, how to recognize different textures, how to, how to recognize different sensations or maybe even temperatures, heat, cold, lukewarm. And our fingertips are actually key components of this touch sensory. And they're uh, the biggest indicator in recognizing touch. So you'll recognize contact through your hands and your feet, but often other areas of your body, such as your tongue, those are used to even describe touch too. Like the hair on your body, not even the skin, but just the hair growing out of the skin can act as an early warning signs for things that are going to affect you, such as contact or heat. Yeah. So those are the five, right? Touch, taste, sight, smell, and sound. Um, 
And science has done a really, really good job of providing us with an extensive set of information about the physical aspects of these primary senses, these five primaries. Because each of these senses gives us a different perspective on an experience. Like, for example, if we were to think about, um, let's talk about the ocean and how you could experience that ocean through each one of your senses. So you'll hear it. You hear the waves crashing. You hear maybe the seagulls. You hear the quietness of the waves retreating. You see it. You see the beauty. You see the Jacob's Ladder, the sun coming through the clouds. You see the waves crashing, the foam sticking to the sand. You see this, the birds flying and maybe a dolphin out there. You taste it. Yeah, salty, whatevs. But when you combine all those senses... Those five senses give you the totality for your human physical experience of that perceived object, which would be, in this case, the ocean. And here's where it gets weird. Because neurologists come along and they go, yeah, 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 let's add some more. Let's add some more senses to this. The five, thanks Aristotle, that was a good starting ground, but like, let's keep going. So, thermoception is the sense of heat. And there's a lot of debate right now about... Uh, how the sense of cold might be different than even the sense of heat. So you've got you've got some variations there. And what, what I'm going to show you here is these next four things that I lay out actually get us to 21 different senses. So you got thermoception. Then let's see, let's talk about uh, nociception, which is a perception of, of pain. And then you got uh, equilibrioception, which is a perception of balance. And then you've got proprioception, which is a perception of body awareness, right? So what that would look like is like uh, when you when you close your eyes and touch your nose, if you get it the first time, that's proprioception in action. Okay, so let's do a little activity together, unless you're driving, because I don't want you to die. So if you're in a stable environment and can do this, I think this will be helpful. So let's close our eyes. And I want you to touch your right forefinger to your left elbow tip. Okay, that's all you gotta do. Close your eyes, touch your right forefinger to your left elbow tip. I just did it here myself, and that was pretty easy. Um, And I'm hoping it was the same for you. But somehow you knew where the end of your finger was, and you also knew the position of your left elbow. And this specific sense is known as that proprioception. And it's the awareness we have of where each of our body parts is in location to the other and in location to space. So we're not just doing a simple command. It's also revealing to us the relationship between our own body and then that which is beyond our body. And proprioception is possible because the receptors in our muscles, which are known as spindles, those will tell the brain about the current length and stretch of the muscles that are associated with the activity that we're doing. Mind-blowing. Okay, so let's do that same activity, except we don't, let's not do it again, but let's talk about um, the, vestibule, the vestibular system. So let's imagine we do that same activity, and I just leaned you forward a little bit and put a blindfold on you. You'd immediately have a sensation of how your body's location and space was changing in relation to gravity. And this is thanks to the fluid-filled vestibular system, which is in your inner ear, which helps us actually maintain our wits. It maintains our balance. This same system also, again, 
this is crazy. It's just a, it's in our little ear and it's fluid filled, but this system also allows us to experience, um, it gives us this experience of acceleration through space and it links up. It actually pairs up with the eyes, making it possible to cancel out our own motion. So, so if you were to wiggle your head around while reading, for example, you'll see that it makes little difference to your ability to read and stay focused on the words. And that's because this little fluid filled system in your inner ear is taking into consideration where you are in space and time. That's crazy. Okay, so we've gone from five senses to about, we added four, but the variations of those four get us to about 21. And then enter the room, eco-psychologist Michael Cohen. And he thinks that the senses that are available to us are at about 53 because he defines sense a different way. His definition of a sense goes beyond like the physiological phenomenon or like the... Uh, the definition of nerve sensors, and he breaks down senses into four different categories. So he'll talk about the radiation senses, so the sense of color, uh, the moods associated or attached to color, the sense of temperature. Uh, He talks about the feeling senses, so sensitivity to gravity, sensitivity to air, to wind pressure, to barometers, to motion. Then he talks about chemical senses, so uh, from a hormonal sense, So he talks about pheromones, hunger for food, hunger for water, a desire for air when your body senses it needs more air in its lungs. And then he talks about the, the, um, the mental senses. So pain, external pain, internal pain, a mental distress, spiritual trauma, spiritual distress, or a sense of self, uh, which includes friendship or psychic capacity or power or the ability for companionship. Those are all mental senses. And his variations actually get us to 53 different ones. Now, Cohen's point is that we're all very sensory animals. We're these, we're these sensory creatures and that our senses that are given to us are a huge part of who we are. They're not given to us to be indulged uh, or to be necessarily things that we screw around with or play around with, but they're actually mechanisms designed to help us survive in a natural world. And not maybe not even just survive, but to thrive in a natural world. Because life in this developed world that you and I live in is so confined, our senses have very, very little to do with the world that we live in. And constantly, or consequently, he would argue become either oversensitive through time or atrophied. So like Americans, for instance, live about 95% of their lives inside, which is very, very different from our like ancestors, right? Who were outside, didn't even have the homes to build, didn't have the air conditioning, didn't have that sort of stuff. So, so what Cohen's saying is because we live in this 95% lifestyle that we're not used to, our ability to experience senses from an evolutionary standpoint actually atrophy us. And that leads to a lot of the common ailments that we're seeing today. So like stress, depression, anxiety, he would argue those are all because we're out of balance. We're out of whack with what we were originally created to be. And it's fair because there's no single logical way to define the senses. Like it it makes sense that in some ways it might make a little bit of uh, sense to draw divisions between all of them, considering they seem to blend together, right? The color food, even the sound at restaurants. 
but those those little nuances can actually influence taste. So you have a uh, you have a pizza that you're expecting to be a certain color and it comes out green. It's going to freak you out a little bit. Or if you uh, if you go to a restaurant and there's horror music playing in the background, it's going to affect you in a different way than if you were in an Italian restaurant and there was beautiful romantic music playing in the background. Uh, or if you go to a sports bar and there's an opera playing, it's going to affect you differently than if Rolling Stones are playing. So understanding your space in all these senses is a key part of who you are. And understanding these relationships is important, especially when you look at conditions like uh, synesthesia, which is a neurological trait that results in the emerging or the joining or the blending of senses that aren't normally connective. Um, if I'm not mistaken, the lead singer of Imagine Dragons actually deals with that, where like the colors, or he'll see musical notes as colors or sounds versus, like he'll see a musical note as like a blue and a green or a red versus like what it actually is. So that's a thing. And in the Greek, that synesthesia, uh, I can't even say the word, it means sensing together, describing our perception of our environment as a combination of different sense impressions. And this is just in humans. When we get into the animal world, it gets even weirder because you've got like bats and some moths that have sonar. You've got pit vipers that have an infrared ability. You've got bees that have the ability to sense ultraviolet color. You've got birds that are able to detect different magnetic fields and how they fly and their rhythms. And that's what keeps them in the migration, like the migratory patterns. And uh, perhaps most surprising to humans is like the electric senses found in various fish species. Like that's bizarre. The fact that electric eels can muster up enough voltage to kill alligators, like it just goes to show that nothing is as you think it is. So you have electroreception, which is the detection of nearby things that a lot of these fish species have, especially other fish, by the electric field that they're radiating. And so at... Uh, like active electrolocation, which is where a fish will emit a certain electric field. Yeah, that's a real thing. And that's bizarre. And so we're just kind of scratching the surface here. But all that to say that our senses allow us to experience the world that we live in. They allow us to gain a more full understanding of this globe that we're just kind of trekking out upon. And Great marketing people understand this because our senses are so important that entire industries have been built on single senses. So when you think of hearing, well, what about radio? Or when you think of taste man, the cooking industry, come on. When you think of smell, fragrance, perfumes, colognes, TV, that's associated with vision and hearing. And so all of these senses are happening every single day, and it's a major part of who we are, and yet we're actually growing increasingly out of touch with our evolutionary biology. Like our, our primitive roots, our nature-dwelling ancestors would like not even know how to cope in the world that we live in today, a world so detached from the natural, yeah, the natural senses, the feet on the earth the rain hitting your skin, the smell of like of, of your hands in the garden touching the soil. Yeah. Because if you're only relying on the physical for your proof of what's real and what's not, like the, the sense that you, you have to be able to touch it, 
you have to be able to taste it or see it or smell it or hear it then you're actually living in a really extremely limited existence okay so there's a japanese idea of beauty and it's influenced by buddhism actually and it says that man is not necessarily the center uh but the universe is uh and the universe is actually the center because it includes man yet only as a small element of the vast cosmos and in western thought we're so used to who we are to our ego being the central pillar to existence and it's just not the case in the eastern mindset so the eastern ideal beauty is not man but nature rather which is a central subject explored by artists throughout most of their artwork throughout much of their philosophy their religion is we are just a piece of this thing we are not the main event yeah that's different right because the world of the senses is a world of illusion and the pleasure and enjoyments of everyday life are passing they're fragile and this is a a pretty if we're gonna uh i would say pessimistic view or pessimistic message maybe concerning large parts of design and art that we experience today in the western world for thousands of years right we've we've dealt with this man is the crux and it's just not that case in the eastern in the eastern kind of mindset and so in contrast like to the jewish emphasis they emphasize the negation of beauty the japanese worldview attends to beauty and fragility in the fleeting moment so japanese go man this is about to be gone so live in it and the eastern church or the western church just goes no we are the center so if it's gone yeah it wasn't there for a purpose it becomes very pragmatic it becomes very like what is useful for me right now and i will use that as a consumer to destroy which is just not the case in the eastern church yeah yeah, so there's different ph- philosophical ideas too in the spiritual realm that define the world of senses in different ways. Because the senses that connect us to the material aspects of the external world enable us to relate to it. It include those that are the closest to the self, the sense of touch, the sense of life, movement, balance, as well as those that expand and strengthen and deepen our connection with the external world, the smell, taste, sight, hearing, yeah, the senses that enable us to enter further into the internal aspects of the objects. The sense of speech, the sense of thought, the final sense, the sense of self, that enables us to experience other human beings. And, and experiencing other human beings allow us to then be aware of ourselves. But then even beyond that, you go to these places and those five senses fall apart, like in a museum. You know, the museum's a place we don't not we're not touching things we're not tasting paintings we're not smelling paintings or sitting down with paintings or nothing like that but it's a place where we approach them where we consider them where we observe them we reflect we remember we feel emotion we feel love we remember we feel excitement yeah all those things all of those experiences Those are super important in our awareness as we transition back into the real life. And holistically, it's important to remember that we're one human being. Yet, as we are one, we're various parts, right? Anyone who's who's got a background in in Christian religion knows that that I think it's Ephesians saying one body, different parts. So we're one human, yet each organ in our body has its own importance. It has its own purpose, its own function, its own uniqueness. And it can't function properly without the others. 
And I think it's really similar to each of us because we need each other and we need a community bigger than us to live a full life. And here's where it gets a little bit weird because because of neuroscience, we know that everything we experience is a figment of imagination. And though these sensations might feel truthful, they might feel real and tangible and accurate, yeah, they're not necessarily reproduced in the physical reality of the outside world. And so many experiences in daily life reflect this physical stimuli that sends signals to the brain, but that exact same neural machinery that often interprets the input from our, from our organs, our, our sensory organs, our eyes, our ears, yeah, those are also responsible for our delusions or our dreams, or our memory loss, or our dementia. So in other words, the real and imagined components, that which is real, that which is imagined, they actually share a same exact physical source, which is the brain. Which I I would argue is what Socrates says when he says, all I know is that I know nothing. Because they're like these weird, bizarre things that are supposed to make sense. And when you pair them up together, they just can't make sense. So one of the most important tools used by neuroscientists to understand how the brain creates its sense of reality is actually visual illusions of all things. Because historically, artists, as well as researchers, they've been able to use these different illusions to gain insights into the inner workings of the visual system. And long before scientists actually had the wherewithal to do to discover and study the properties of neurons and the subatomic world, artists have actually created a series of techniques to trick the brain into thinking that a flat canvas was a three-dimensional art piece or that, uh, you know, a series of different brush strokes was indeed a still picture. And so visual illusions, yeah, those are bizarre because the artists actually had the foreground of, of where, where this neuroscience was going to lead us. Because when we experience a visual illusion, we see something that's not there, perhaps, or at least we fail to see something that's there. And because of this disconnect between perception and reality, these illusions demonstrate the ways in which the brain can actually fail to recreate the physical world, the very thing that we live in day out, day in, 24-7. And when we study these failings, we can learn about the, the methods used by the brains to construct, or to construct visual experience. Okay. So, uh, when I think of the five senses and what we were born with and what we've taken for granted our entire life, because of this, because we've taken this for granted, we often forget the intricate role that these senses play in our lives because we fail to appreciate them. Our senses are woven into, deeply, intricately woven into, our memories. They're connected with our memories. They're synonymous with our memories. And we'll take these and we'll file away bits of information into this memory bank. And when we least expect it, yeah, we'll see something familiar. We'll become aware of a smell that we've maybe taken in before or a taste that we recall from years ago or a texture or a sound that takes us back to a time when we've experienced it before. Yeah, what's happening there is your brain, your memory bank is opening up and it's exposing those details. And in exposing those, it's it's revealing those past experiences and memories. And so in Jesus, in, in Matthew 6, Jesus had just done some really killer teachings. 
and in the you know the old or the new testament uh, christian literature book called the bible jesus is there and he says there's far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach more to your outward appearance than the clothes you hang on your body just look at the birds free and unfettered not tied down to a job description careless in the care of god and you count far more to him than the birds and he's right right there he's saying you count you humans count far more to god than the birds now westerners always thought this was a a really great way to deal with anxiety because westerners do a crappy job of trying to make sense of the world they're reading the bible investigatively which is not how you read the bible and we'll we'll do a show on that in the future but you don't just you don't mind the bible as like a riddle book and like a teacher's guide to a riddle book you sit with it for what it is and so we read it as like oh consider the birds of the air wow what what a great cure for anxiety no maybe like jesus was just really encouraging us to get out and consider nature to sense what is deeply going on those five senses those 53 senses Maybe Jesus is saying, like, it's actually better for you to just go be in nature and just take it in. And yeah, depression, anxiety, that stuff will fall away because it reminds you, it reorients you to who you are. Engage the senses is what I feel like he's saying. And maybe that's what we actually do need to calm down and recenter. Okay, so how to use your mind for creating momentary experiences. So let's talk about the, just the five, because the five is what we're familiar with, and I don't have enough time to go through 53. So we'll just like, let's use the five as a starting ground, and once we figure out how to polish those up and get those into good habits, then we can expand a bit. So let's let's talk about the five. So let's taste. Yeah, whenever you're eating or drinking something, why don't you notice and focus on the taste of that item? And start to go a little bit deeper with your food and your drink. Savor the moment as you focus on what's going on in your mouth. Don't just judge it as like, I don't like this. I hate it. I love it. I hate it. I love it. No, like, what do you like about it? Is it salty? Is it sweet? Is it tangy? Is it spicy? Is it sweet and spicy? That's weird. Is it salty and tangy? Is it, it, like, yeah, take take time to experience that which is going on at your dinner plate and at your dinner table. Put your fork down between meals and just enjoy the senses. When you walk into the house and you smell dinner being cooked, sit and stop. Close your eyes. Take it in. Yeah, that'll slow you down, won't it? What about sight? Sadly, I believe that the use of electronics actually keep out what's happening around us in the present moment because it puts it into a screen. So one thing I found really beneficial is I do a five-mile walk every morning. Yeah, Step outside, collect your thoughts. What do you see? You see the flowers, you see the clouds, the shape of a leaf. You see a a beautifully manicured yard. Yeah, celebrate that. It won't be there forever. What about touch? We're always touching something or something's always touching us. I'm sitting in a chair. I've got a microphone pressed up to my mouth. I'm wearing clothing that is touching various parts of this organ called skin on my body. Yeah, we don't often take the time to notice that our tactile perceptions are are there and they're present unless they're giving us an, an unpleasant sensation. So maybe a tactile mindfulness, yeah, that's about becoming aware of everything touching your body and noticing how it feels. The sun shining down, the breeze hitting your hair, your feet 
on the earth's surface. If something's bumpy, if something's soft, if it's cold, if it's hot, yeah. It's part of mindful practice because you're actually increasing your present experiential awareness. This is me right now. The trees are making noise. The wind is blowing through my hair. The clothes are touching my skin and I'm standing on this earth. And wow, what an amazing thing to be here. Sound, yeah. Daily, we're programmed to listen to what we want and filter out what we don't want to hear. But it would be a great practice to engage in a mindful moment using all your sense of hearing. What about the sounds around you? The sounds of the leaves rustling, the birds chirping, the cars driving by, a horn honking, sirens in the distance, rain hitting the shed of your neighbor, that metal roof, and it just sounds awesome. Pay attention to those sounds. Don't just go on a walk with headphones in. Yeah, you want to connect to nature? You want to connect to your community? Pull those headphones out, put your phone away, just go for a walk. Breathe deeply, look, look, you know, look in intensively listen smell yeah okay so smell noticing a smell might sound easy but most people don't stop and smell the roses maybe it would be better to allow yourself to stop notice taking the various smells that you get at any point in time smell coffee brewing smell what grass food cooking and one of the hardest things for me is i live about a hundred feet from a restaurant and every morning I'm awakened to the smell of amazing breakfast and it fills the air and down the street about a block away there's a coffee roastery and they're roasting coffee sometimes burning I think but yeah the streets smell like coffee my home smells like omelets just the air outside pay attention to that adding those brief mindful moments to your life to your daily routine and even your kids I would say yeah, it's really important to fostering a healthy lifestyle. And and remember that when you give yourself the gift of like a brief moment of paying attention to that, you're actually providing your your brain, which is usually on autopilot, a much needed rest. Okay, we're finishing up here. Things to think about as we move forward. Things that I hope help you out. Yeah, number one, I would say ask yourself how your senses help shape an experience or when they did recognize those details. Like what, think about an experience in your life. What was something you heard, something you touched? Was there a taste? What were the images? What were the colors? What was the smell of it? How did it make you feel? Yeah. Get into your feelings a little bit. I used to travel with this guy who's a, a fairly famous guy. And, uh, he just loved having his own cologne. So he would have his own cologne custom made because he didn't want anyone else to smell like him in the world because he knew that smell is so important that one smell could take you back 35 years. So he had his own cologne made that, that no one else would smell it except for him. Yeah, that's that's pretty wild. But let, the, let those senses shape your experience. Another thought would be like, when was the last time you thought about the significance of your five senses and how they actually impact your everyday life? How often do you get to appreciate those essential attributes? Or when was the last time that you felt the wind gently just kind of hit across your skin or appreciate the beauty of a leaf dancing in the breeze? Or listen to the birds without just being like, damn birds, it's too early, I'm, I'm trying to sleep. No. The 
birds are awake. There's a symphony outside your window before you awake. Rather than like kind of griping about it. What if you just sat outside first thing and listened to it? Listen to the communication. Listen to the birds trying to find mates. Listen to them celebrating that another day is here. Yeah. And then maybe incorporate those senses into your daily life, into your affirmations. What do they look like, sound like, smell like, taste like, feel like? Yeah, those are important things. Because it's important that we connect with our senses and appreciate these gifts that we're given. They weren't just given from a like evolutionary standpoint of like, yeah, this is how you're going to like know when to run or when to stay or when to love something or hate something. This was like a gift that was like an unnecessary grace given to us. All food could smell one dimensional, you know, you know pizza, pasta, pho, sandwiches, cereal. It could all smell like food, just the one thing. But like, no, there's variations and there's spices and garlics and onions and man do we stop and recognize that ever or do we just hustle on to the next thing so yeah connect with your senses because our senses are a connection to the world around us so we need them to perceive our environment we need them to interact with other people they help us with everyday tasks like driving talking to people performing activities at work enjoying the leisurely activities with their family Our senses are essential for our enjoyment. Yeah, they remind us to experience the beautiful things. Eating a good meal, listening to great music. Oh, the sound of laughter. Who doesn't need that after this last year and a half? Yeah, don't rush those too quickly. Senses also, like, they're closely connected to our emotions and our memories. And so it's more than just a passing, like, quick thought, but they are dynamic they're dramatic they impact us dramatically how we feel how we think so live into those because in a culture that's pushing us for a faster more simulated even stimulated i would say quick response yeah dare to be that different person dare to be the person that slows down that's healthy that has a great awareness of their senses stop smell those roses and i guarantee you that the more we appreciate our senses, yeah, the happier we will become. The happier we will become. We can all use a little bit of that right now. Am I right? So I'm going to open up this bag of Doritos once I hit the outro music, and I'm going to enjoy them. And I'll think of you guys. Yeah, I really appreciate you letting me do this podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll do it again next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Heath in Pursuit podcast. We look forward to being back with you next week. For more information on the various works of Heath Hollandsby, please visit heathinpursuit.com.